With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everybody, welcome to the Sharp Tongue Podcast. I'm your girl, Jessie Mae Peluso. Thank you so much for tuning in, for listening, for your support. And if you guys would love to leave a little bit more support for me, you can go right to the Apple app and leave a rate or review. Let us know how you're enjoying the podcast. What are some of your favorite episodes and maybe what you look forward to and how it's affected your life. I would love to read and hear about that. So go right over to the Apple app whenever you have a second. And this week is a special episode. But before we get to that, if you want to watch the entire episode, that will be available on my Patreon page patreon.com forward slash Jesse May Peluso. Clips and larger pieces will be available on YouTube as always. Thank you guys so, so much ahead of time. I appreciate your support. Literally, this podcast has kept me afloat emotionally throughout uh, very difficult times in my life, and I hope it's done the same for you. This episode is a special episode because, first of all, we haven't had a guest in a while. This week's guest has a master's in counseling and psychology. He also is the host of the Suicide Prevention Podcast, Before You Kill Yourself. He is a stand-up comedian and my former roommate. That's right. We lived together for a time being and had many deep conversations that probably should have been podcasts, but better off that they just remained in life as a regular conversation. Remember those? Remember re- regular conversations we rarely have anymore? Well, we got together this week and had somewhat of a regular conversation, and we asked a very big question, is family everything? And I think we get to somewhat of the bottom of that with this week's guest host, Mr. Leo Flowers. Sharp Tongue Podcast. Beep, 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 You're listening to the Sharp Tongue Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse May Jessie Peluso. It's a personal look. Well, it's not really a look because it's a podcast. I'm already fucking this up. This is kind of like a verbal comedy diary, a deep look into the crevices of my mind. It's going to get dirty. You might cry. You'll probably laugh. Hopefully you'll laugh. Talk about my dog sometimes. Each week it's something different. Sometimes I have a guest host. Sometimes it's going to be a movie companion episode. Sometimes I just ramble about the bullshit I dealt with the week before. You never know what you're going to get. It's raw, uncut, and funny. It's me. (sighs) Maybe I should turn my microphone on. Oh, day one of podcasting. Day one, ladies and what? gentlemen. Okay, first of all, why is your pod your your microphone the size of a football helmet? Why are you hiding I, behind I a steering wheel? <laughs> I gotta be able to see. <laughs> well, be, because I thought I'm going incognito. You know what I mean? Oh, my god! I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that's a that's a memoir title right there. I don't incognito. Yeah, it'd be a journey. That has to be that has to man. be taken. Somebody is ha- must have. Are you just going to like French kiss? I'm the, sorry. The, the, go ahead. Get some. We'll start the podcast now. <laughs> yeah, right now. Um, you know what? I'm like the uh, the neighbor on. uh what Tim the Two Man? What and was home that show? Home Improvement. Where he How was dare you? Setting the house on fire every episode, trying to yes. fix the toaster oven. That was such a simpler time. It really, really was. And what a great segue into 
our topic today. We've been doing topical episodes for a hot minute now. And those of you who've listened to the podcast know Mr. Leo Flowers as my, uh, we used to live together, former roommates. Well, if they, they have to. Oh, they're like, oh, yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> the man without the, without a face. Everybody from the movie, the man without a face, Mel Gibson's. Wait, do I need this thing? But how no. come you can see your wait? What do I have to? Can, can you still hear me though? I can still hear you. Yeah, I'm you sound so, great. I'm so I'm so worried about not being heard that I'm like, okay, I need the mic here, and I need this. It's a it's a good quality control to have, but no, you sound wonderful. You really do. Uh, I'm happy wow. you're here. Oh, this feels weird. I've never <laughs> done the podcast with my face exposed. Really? I, I I actually I when I do my podcast is audio only. Oh, I kind of love so, that. I miss that. Why do we yeah. need to see our faces? I I really miss the simplicity of just audio. I thought that's what podcasts were originally created for. That's what I thought too. And then all of a sudden, people want to make that YouTube money, and all of a sudden, now we got to put the screen on. There's too I mean, much to do. There's too much to do. I mean, you get into podcasting because you're an introvert. And you, it's like my, my therapist this morning told me that, like, I'm a very open person, but very distant. And I was mm. like, wow, what a great uh, description. Like, so accurate. I think you it's know? a healthy thing, too, to be what, open to be and distant. distant. Yeah. Open, but distant. Um, I do want to set the theme of this episode. Okay, I please. asked Leo what we could discuss because him and I both like to have deep conversations and he just threw out a question that happened to be a great question is family, everything. And I've gone back and forth on this topic throughout my life and throughout experiencing different situations that have caused me great trauma and, and stress, which having your family in those moments can be a great anchor, but I've learned it also can prove to be the opposite. So it's interesting that you offered this question and I don't know a lot about your family dynamic. Uh, I know a little bit about your background and I also know, and our listeners may not know that you, you went to school, you have a PhD, correct? Uh, uh, masters. Masters, sorry, a masters. And you also, you were a, um, a counselor for homeless youth. Well, I used to work uh, in a group home for kids who were placed there by the courts, either because their home life was such a wreck, like, you know, my mom, papa was out drinking and drugging and partying, or they committed some egregious crime. And were, so it was like both criminals and people, kids who were placed there because of the emotional atrocities taking place uh, in the home. Tell everyone what your master's is in counseling psychology so i used to counsel inmates and married couples so you know i get to see how the kids who grew up in emotionally abusive homes you know see see what kind of crimes they committed and what kind of people they turned out to be and then i got to see them get married so i get to see i got to see all three levels of the evolution of trauma what do you think drew you to that degree into that area of expertise because that's very specific i think part of it was natural where i was 
even when I was a kid, I was that person that people came to for advice. You know, I was uh, I was just like the the shrink of the neighborhood. I mean, even adults like my mom would be like, "Wait till your brother gets home," and like I would have to, I literally would have to sit my mom and my sister down at the table, right, and try to mitigate the dispute between them, and somehow I was able to navigate that. But then at the same time was all, also had it like a bedtime and had to do dishes. So like I was like the I had like I was like the man of the house in some respect in that I was the person like I was the the um I don't know what you would say kind of like the 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 sage of the house, mm-hmm. right? But also like I had to got sent to bed without my dessert. You know, like, so like I was treated like a man and like this person of great wisdom on one part, but also reminded that I was uh, uh, still a boy and a child and, you know, had to live by certain rules. So it was a very confusing, you know, message, you know, as a kid, you know, where you have like adults talking to you like an adult once one second and then saying, don't speak unless spoken to on the other hand, you know. Do you think that that affected you negatively and did that affect your relationships as a child and how you related to kids and adults? It must have been a little confusing to be expected or at least sought out to be the sage of the household and also the neighborhood shrink which is another great memoir title you might want to add into your pile. Was it, how do you think it affected you emotionally? Because it it, sounds like you were robbed of a childhood in a sense. Yeah. It's funny. I'm, I was just, you know, preparing for this podcast. I was reading, rereading this book called silently seduced. And it's a book about kids who were parentified as children. So this typically happens when only one adult is in a in a in the household so especially like if you're a boy and you and you're and it's your mom right and so there's not another man in the house your mom ends up coming to you for manly responsibilities and duties so whether it's like protecting the house protecting my sister or even coming to me for advice and talking to me about relationships she was involved in um, you know, having a job since I was nine to help pay the bills. So like you're thrust into these adult roles very quickly and then having the burden or feeling the burden of responsibility for not just the household financially, but also emotionally. So then I had to be very like in tune with how my mom was feeling, how my sister was feeling and making sure that their needs were met before my needs were met. So like I'm I find myself in this place where I'm now learning what my needs and wants are and then trying to have the courage and vulnerability to ask for those things as an adult, as an adult. So I realize, like, I feel like that's what the midlife crisis is for a lot of people, Uh, men or women, where you live like the first part of your life, trying to meet the expectations of your parents, society teachers you know the external world and then you get in your 40s and you're like oh but this isn't really me this isn't my true expression of self 
And now you're like, where am I in all of this? And what do I want? And how have you been able to manage that as a new kind of like a new venture as an adult asking for what you want as a grown man at this point in your life? Are you able to do it? Have you come up against difficulties? What are the obstacles of having been parentified as a child? Come, Molly, come on. In. <laughs> uh, food, drugs, sex, and alcohol. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody else. Um, I, I mean, I'm saying that facetiously, but you know, it's like, it's a mix of all of it where I have two therapists that I'm going to go see. Right. I have a couple's therapist also, uh, me and my girlfriend, I'm going to group therapy, but I'm also like, you know, numbing out with TV and scrolling and food and, uh, you know, masturbation, like all these different things that, um, I'm trying to, uh, uh, navigate my way into the healthier adaptive coping mechanisms and then shedding the maladaptive coping mechanisms at the, so I'm, I'm in that, that purgatory of, uh, of, of shedding the things that don't serve me and growing more into the things that do, you know, but not expecting a hundred percent, right? Like I'm just, if I can bat around, uh, uh, 80, you know, Pareto's principle, 80-20. If I could do an 80-20 of adaptive versus maladaptive, um, you know, I'm a happy camper. And what are those maladaptive obstacles specifically? Uh, um, maladaptive obstacles. I think the first part is, like, like I said, awareness. It's like you, you don't know what you don't know. Um, I think a lot of times, and I was just talking to a, a friend of mine who her boyfriend <laughs> went to therapy and then came home and broke up with her, you know, because he was like, uh, I just realized this is such a toxic relationship. Like, and she was excited that he was going, you know, thinking that that was going to bring them closer together and had no idea that he was going to have some revelation of, but um, I, I bring that up to say that, ouch, um, you, it's, it's hard to know what you, you need if you're not aware of the needs and wants and so the first obstacle is just becoming aware mm -hmm. of what i need and i so like for me journaling is a way of doing that of like just writing down what's bothering me what's upsetting me um what i'm curious about what i'm fascinated by just kind of tapping in like what anguishes me the, you know the two words was interesting the two words I've been using most recently are heartbreaking and heartwarming. Hmm. Those were words I've never used before to describe things. Um, and I, I just feel things more viscerally now that um, I'm not numbing out with my, with food as much, with screens as much, with, you know, uh, self uh, you know, autoeroticism, all these different things. Um, now that I'm sitting with my emotions and feeling my feelings more, I'm more tuned into the nuances of my internal experience versus before I was just either pissed or cool. There, there was no gray area. There was no middle. I'm either at a hundred or I'm at a zero. And I was just all or nothing uh, swing for the fences swing for the fences or just like collapsing or imploding on myself.
I feel like a lot of people function on that that sort of plane of going, going, going and crashing, going, going, going and crashing. And what do you think influences that? What are the major influences of that sort of way of living? Because, you know, with your background and what your master's is in, I would think that you witnessed a lot of that sort of behavior with criminals and with, you know, the the youth that you were counseling and and sort of witnessing patterns. So what what do you think influences that sort of behavioral pattern of going until you crash? Well, I think part of it is societal, right? Where we love to be excited about a thing. It's like, you're getting married. Aren't you excited? You're having a baby. Aren't you excited? You're going to college. Aren't you excited? It's like, everything is, you know, oh, you're in a new relationship. Like everything is, oh my God. Or if things suck, it's like, Oh my God, that's horrible. That's horrendous. That's like we 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 romanticize and idolize so many things, and then we catastrophize and demonize so many things. And and nowhere in our language are we really talking about the subtle nuances. This is like from early on, the messages that we received are you're either with me or against me. And so we're taught this very black and white thinking. I went to a Catholic school as a kid and so it, it's like either you're a saint or a sinner everything is in our in our vocabulary in our language whether we're talking about religion or tv is all black and white you're with me or against me saint or sinner uh we love to say you mean nothing to me like you see that in movies you're nothing to me you know like so the, there are so many extremes that we see and then you know even in like I said, movies and TV, um, we we see the extremes of behavior. Whether you're talking about reality television or any type of television, you're seeing just the action, right? You're seeing the action in a relationship. You're seeing the action in work. We don't see the the in-between parts. We don't see the couple just sitting on a couch Right. You know, one one person playing Wordle, the other one, uh, you know, she she's knitting a sweater or them just having like little game nights, you know, uh, them being bored together. We don't see people being bored or yes. just being in sharing the same space and being at ease with that. Everything is catastrophic and dramatic and at a at a 10 and and there's no one when we take these um images in there's there are no adults around us to help us process it like one of the things i love that michelle and i do is when we watch a tv show we pause it frequently to discuss the scenes that we've just you know the characters the scene the plot how we feel about what was said and done so there's this processing that we go through to see to kind of check in with each other. Like, how'd you feel about that? Or what'd you, you know, we kind of use TV and movies and entertainment as a gateway into a deeper conversation between us. Um, and that's not, and that's something I wish more parents would do with their kids because then you wouldn't be so afraid of what they were watching or consuming. It's not what they're watching or consuming, it's their interpretation of what they're taking in. Right. And then not having someone to kind of process it with them, you know? Well, that's an 
interesting point, and I want to touch back on you talking about the parentification of your childhood. Who was there to help process what you were seeing or were you doing it for yourself? You know, I was fortunate that my mom, even though single, dated really great guys. Mm. Like any of the guys that she brought around, I felt safe with. I felt secure. Um, you know, I'd spend the night over their house. Like these were all great guys. And and they all guided me in different ways, you know, where one talked to me more about um, you know, taking care of my body, uh, it very, from a very early age instilled, uh, you know, movement and exercise and, and just taking care of yourself physically. And then my, from my, my uncle who, um, very much took care of himself. Like he ironed his socks and his underwear. Like, I remember that of the care that he took, but he was, but you know, and, and, and he always smelled good. And so like he had all the ladies all the time. So I was like, okay, if I want the ladies, I got I to take care of my clothes. I got to smell good. And so like all these pieces of different men that I was trying to cobble together to have some type of idea of how to move about as a man through the world. Mm. Uh, I was fortunate to have those uh, examples close to me. And even my football coach was someone who, Coach Karloff, rest in peace, just a very solid guy that, I was always in awe of how this one man could command a room of a hundred men, you know, like whatever he said we did and you really didn't see anyone question him. And, and, but he did it with no malice. I never saw him. Like he knew how to talk to you. I remember one game I was, uh, I was, it was my senior year and there was a big write up about me in the newspapers. And uh, the first game, the first half of the game at halftime, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't doing anything. I was ineffectual. I had no tackles, no sacks, no nothing. And, and coach just leaned over. He goes, where's that guy I've been reading about? Mm. And that's all he said to me. And then I went on to have like such a great second half. I got defensive player of the game because I just like murdered the second half of the game. But that taught me, a lesson about how to talk to myself in that I'm not a person who takes orders, but I do respond well to a beautiful question. Wow. Right? You know what I mean? Uh, yes. Right. It's such it, a like, great, uh, delicate way to guide someone. It's such a, a like when I hear a great question, I always know that I say to that person, I go, that's such a beautiful. I love that question because I've I've heard so many horrible questions. And when I hear a bad question, it drives me up the wall. Like it, it's like somebody cutting me off in traffic. It's I like I it's it's I like just thinking about it right now. I just want to take a bat to a uh I, I don't want to say what I really want to say. A coffee uh, mug. A coffee mug. We'll go to, to we'll a number call it of coffee co mugs. Yeah, I just want to get into like one of those uh rage rooms. Have you heard of those? I need I have every room those. in my house is a rage room. <laughs> but uh, like, you know, like why questions are typically the worst questions. And when I hear a why question, I just think about how lazy this person is that they're not taking the time 
to craft what it is they really want to ask me. Yeah, why questions can bring up in in interpersonal relationships a lot of defensiveness. Absolutely. And I feel like the basis of a why question is not so much to gather information and to understand, but more to Im- implicate and more to mm. cause blame and and to further prove your own point. That's that's been my experience. Yeah, and, absolutely right. You know, think about kids just being a child. The only question we have is why. Just because we're curious, we we haven't experienced anything yet. And it comes from this really innocent curiosity. And somewhere along the line, it it goes away from wanting to know something for the sake of knowing it to wanting to attack someone and wanting to make someone else feel a certain way. So it's really interesting where that happens, you know, where that sort of shift happens. Um, there's, there's, there's so many, when I was thinking about doing this podcast with you and how excited I was with that question is family, everything so much came up for me because on a personal level, that question came into question during the time I was losing my dad because the process of him dying being alive and dying that's sort of how alzheimer's uh, shows up we had to mourn him while he was alive that process really made me question is family everything because of what that experience did within my family unit it caused a lot of issues and it caused me to really wonder what the rules were on solidarity amongst your family members. And I thought about that in in reference to you because I think you're an interesting human being in that you grew up with women and you respect women and you had and have a great example of a mother. And has that ever has that question is family every everything ever come into question for you within that dynamic within the dynamic of your sister of your mother of experiences maybe holding some resentment to the you having to parent as a child and if this is too personal that we don't have to go into it but i i question it Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Um, the question of is family everything in regards to myself? Yeah, I think it's something that I'm always struggling with. And and I say that because there's so many messages that I've received about what family is. And you know, where family is everything. I grew up on mafia movies. You know, I'm 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 from Chicago, so I grew up on The Godfather, Miller's Crossing, um, 
uh, Carlito's Way. I feel Carlito's like that was a way. Like all <laughs> these mafia Tale. movies, Bronx Tale. Yeah, Bronx Tale was one of my favorite. Uh, there's one I'm trying to remember that was was really my, my favorite, but uh, I can't remember it with uh, Ray Liotta. Goodfellas. But um, Goodfellas. Yeah, Goodfellas. Did we say that? Classic. Already? No, but that's a, one of classic. the most classic yeah, that, mafia that was, movies. Yeah, that was my favorite. Um, and but but and I and I love those movies, but they always sell you on family, and I think that's why we really were enamored with the mafia culture in that. They could go out and kill someone and then come home and kiss their grandmother. Their grandmother's living with them and she's in the kitchen like making pasta and they're all going to sit down and break bread and and laugh. And, you know, hey, Paulie, you know, how's the, you know, uh, you dating that girl? You should call her, you know, like like at the end of the day, everything came back to to family. When I think what was that movie with um Johnny Depp and uh and and what, uh, what's eating a, Gilbert Grape? Miller's no Miller's no no dark dark river river oh uh oh I want to say a river runs through it it was something river and um but you know he was he was such a violent guy and yet all right the scene the scene that I remember is him helping the old lady with the groceries and then giving her something uh for the rent you know like those moments of of human connection uh that's that's what we value but but then you know as you get older then i'm watching like then you watch shows like you know soap operas where it's like the backstabbing betrayal deception yeah. murder incest all these things and and game of thrones and i feel like a lot of shows now are either like sitcom families or like you're you're like shows like succession where like your sibling is this is intense sibling rivalry and, and and families out the window and stealing your money and extorting yeah, and you and, absolutely yeah and there's been it's, people we know who've had public uh trials against oh, their own family members because of extortion brutal, and and it, it's like you put, where you, do you draw you the, the line yeah you put the blinders on and and, and, I, and I and i feel like because of this romanticism of what family is uh we put the blinders on instead of putting boundaries up and so that's the space that I'm in now is recognizing what are the boundaries I need to set with my family so that they can so that I don't feel resentful towards family and so that I'm not projecting any anger or grief uh, onto them. And just but once again, it comes back to an awareness of like, what are my boundaries? What's acceptable? And, um, you know, it's like I don't have to pick the phone up every time mom calls. Or, you know, give them money anytime that they need it. It's like establishing boundaries so that I can uh, generate some vitality to move forward and and build up momentum instead of feeling stuck in inertia and in the past. And that's a difficult thing to do. And I don't know about you. And I wonder when you're having to set boundaries and on the conversation of these you know, more adaptive behaviors that we are attempting to step into as adults and, and break those old patterns. Are any of the old voices in your head coming up when you're trying to set boundaries? And if so, what are they saying to you? And how do you combat 
the old behavior conversation in your head with the new behavior movements that you're attempting to make? That's a great question because there there is this. I've been um, waiting for you to say that. It only took a half an hour. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because, you know, you struggle with trusting yourself and trusting the voices in your head. You're like, is that my voice or is that somebody else's voice? Is that what I really want? Is that what I really need? Is what if this doesn't work out? What if they reject? What if I don't recover from this? And, um, and then there's also like the selfish part of like, well, if I don't do this for them, then what if I need them later on? So then you're also kind of thinking Machiavellian and, and like 10 steps ahead. Um, and so one of the things that I do is one, I talk to my therapist about it to kind of get like a, a second person uh, a perspective on it. And, and, and also I share with my friends, like I've, you've been a recipient of a number of text messages of my inner struggles. And so I will send out a text message to about, you know, five to 10 people and just see how they respond and then see what resonates or connects with me. Um, and, and then journaling really, I find that just, you know, I, I sell journals after my shows and a lot of germs, people be, <laughs> germs, right? You want to say and, what it stands for? Journal, exercise, read, meditate, self-talk. So that's part of the foundation of how I start my day. And a lot of people ask me how to journal. And for me, when I, if I'm just feeling emotionally overwhelmed or flooded, I just write out whatever it is. I just keep writing. I write it out until I figure it out. Oh, I like that. I write it out until I figure it out. Yes. And, it, and it might take you a page. It might take you three pages. It might take you a couple sessions. You might, you know, write out for a couple pages, step away, come back, write some more, and then somewhere. But, but what's beautiful is journaling has taught me I, ha I hold the answer, ultimately. Ultimately, I hold the answer. Um, and so there's safety in knowing that I'm not far from what my true north is. There's something beautiful in that. Um, but also, in terms of setting boundaries, is to let go the need to get it right. Mm. Right? It's not about, I've, I've spent so much of my life wanting to be right, uh, uh, fighting for my rights, blah, blah, blah. But what I recognize is I have to tell myself, regardless, I can learn from this experience. I'm going to set a boundary. It may or may not hold. It may or may not be something that serves me, but it'll still give me feedback for next time. And I, and I think a lot of times people are afraid to set boundaries because they think they have to set such a major, like we got to build a wall, right? It has to be such a major boundary between you and this other person. And it can be a small boundary. Like uh, one of the boundaries I set a lot of the times now is, um, in my mind, I limit phone call conversations to about 20 minutes. I go, I'm going to be on this phone with this person for 20 minutes because there's nothing worse than you thought you were just going to chit chat and this person just wants to dump an hour's worth of trash on you and then be like, bye. And now you're stuck like, uh, <laughs> like you have to, to manage all that energy. Right. Now you need to call somebody and, and, and deal with <laughs> what you just took in. Yes. So um, I go, yeah, yeah, we can talk for, for 20 minutes or, uh, you know, it just depends on who it is and what space I'm in. Right. 
so you know setting these tiny boundaries of uh, you know if you're if your mom wants to talk to you every day it's like instead of saying no say yes and that's to me the biggest game changer i just uh, you know in improv they teach you yes and and i realized because of my all or nothing thinking i've been saying either hell yeah or hell no but <laughs> yes and is that sweet between where yeah ma, i'll call you every day for two minutes and you know but I, I don't call my mom every day but just as an example for people who feel like i don't want to do this every day it's like well, you're probably thinking about it in huge chunks. Like, I got to talk to my mom for an hour every day. It's like, no, you can set the limits of what that's going to look like, you know, to kind of meet them in between and say, we can talk every other day or, you know, what have you. So just knowing that it's a process of discovering what your boundaries are. I think a lot of people go into setting boundaries like they should know what their boundaries are. You don't know. You've been out of practice. You've spent most of your life, you know, having swinging doors and letting people in and out, shutting down and then overexposing yourself, you know. And so to allow yourself that room to explore and navigate what your boundaries are versus feeling like you have to get it right immediately, which is outlandish. It is outlandish. And. I just want to say talking to you and knowing you how long I've known you, you speak in such a beautifully encapsulated thought. And I want to let you know that, that it, it, it is really remarkable to sit here and talk to you like this. And, and your thoughts are so thoughtful. <laughs> you said you had to let go of your need to get it right. And you beautifully buttoned it with reminding us that. And my question is, did you also have to let go of your need to please people in that process? I, every time I set a boundary with someone, I can feel it in my chest because I want to people, please. I don't want you to, I don't want you to be upset. I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I don't want any backlash. I want everything to stay cool. It seems and more so with our family as well. Oh, yeah. But family work, I find I do it even in stand up. Like, what does the audience want me to say? Who's out there? You know, like I'm just I'm, I'm overly concerned with what other people want and need from me. And uh, and it's exhausting to, to live your life like that. And so one of the things I've been working with one of my therapists with is she's getting me comfortable with confrontation Ooh. because my whole thing is like, I don't. I don't want to confront and because to, to me that has a, a negative connotation to it. Like confrontation for me, uh, I think about, you know, cops. I think about gangs. I think about things exploding into something unmanageable and detrimental, right? Somebody's dead, hurt, in jail. I want none of those things. And she's getting me comfortable with this idea that uh, we can confront people with the idea of clarification mm. so that we can move forward and that it's actually healthy to confront someone so that you can clear up the confusion instead of uh, 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 waddling is the word that comes to mind waddling and anxiety but waddling is not the word that I want. I mean you, you can waddle but... in anxiety <laughs> I've certainly waddled back and forth in anxiety for hours I think it's a perfect word <laughs> 
And and so I love that idea of wallowing knowing, of a wallowing. That's see, we got there. <laughs> wallowing well while waddling. Say that three times fast. Um, and, and so I love the idea of going into a confrontation with an intention. I, I think like that. A, a lot of times I've gone into confrontations. Um, hoping that the other person was a mind reader and knew what I needed and was hoping that they were going to give me what I need as opposed to me knowing what I need for myself. So now when I go into this confrontation, I have an intention and then I can communicate more effectively and, and clearly with the person I'm um, talking to. I think a lot of us do that. And I think a lot of people are people pleasers, especially children who have had somewhat of a disjointed childhood and not the traditional family unit, a parent missing, a parent, whatever the situation is. I think naturally we develop into these people pleasing beings. And we also have a hard time asking for what we want because of that people pleasing. And the thought of doing anything other than what the other person needs causes so much anxiety that we'd rather alleviate their stress and take that on, then just reduce some of what our wallowing, wobbling anxiety is. And, and so uh, not to cut you off. Yeah. So, but so, and, and then what happens in relationships and I, I've discovered this for myself is that we say to the other person, we need space, right? Because I'm so consumed with thinking about your needs and wants that I don't, I no longer feel connected to myself and I don't have the space to discover what my needs and wants are. But instead of being aware of that piece, we just think we need out the relationship. Like there's right. just something about this relationship. So we got to break up. And, and so a lot of times when we say we need space is that space to think about us. Right. To just, and, and I had a friend who, um, on my podcast, she's a sex worker, and she said a lot of guys would hire her um, just to watch her go about her daily business. Like they, like they would come over to her house, and you know whether she was watching TV or, or you know doing the laundry, they just wanted to watch. They got their clothes on; they're not doing anything. They just want to be in a space of someone who is just going about their business. And so you got the same, you had the same look on your face that my friend Molly, who almost uh, walked in here, had on her face when I told her that. And so, and here's what people don't understand is sometimes you reach a place where you want to be in a space of people that you're not responsible for. Mm. You want to be around people, but you don't want to be responsible for them. And mm -hmm. so in relationships, what happens is, you're, we're with, especially during a pandemic, you're with this person and you're only thinking about them. You, you can only think about them when you're with them. It's hard for you to not, to not think, to think about anything else. But you need us. That's why like men go to the bars or they go to the gym or they sit in their car for an hour, even after they've gotten home, like, uh, you know, that, that decompression space. Like we need to be in a space where we can just decompress, but we don't necessarily want to be by ourselves. I don't want to be with you because I'll just be thinking about you, but 
but I want to be with somebody, but I don't have anybody for whatever reason that is. So we, 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 we have, it's a surrogate. The, the sex worker becomes a surrogate. Mm -hmm. and, then and then what was interesting, she said 70% of the men who hire her weren't even for sex. It was just to be in a space with her, to, feel, to not feel judged. She said they were really paying her to not feel judged by anyone. Well, it sounds like there's a whole industry out there I have untapped. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be a non-sex worker and it's just going to be called the judgment zone. It's not the, it's not the erogenous zone. It's the non-judgment zone. And, and it's exactly. And then what was interesting, she said that uh, some of the guys would then, you know, I mean, she definitely, you know, has sex. She's a sex worker. She said the guys would have sex with her just out of default, out of like, well, I, I'm I paid for the sex, so I'm going to do it. But they're not they're not. That's not what they really came to her for originally. That's a, a, a staggering statistic. I mean, obviously, this is one individual, but I would think it reflects a whole industry, which goes on to reflect a society. And I guess that that sort of brings me back to the original conversation of family and childhood and how much of that need for decompression and especially from a male perspective, like these are men that are coming to a female, how much of that need for just to be in a space with somebody where they're not judged, do you think comes from childhood inadequacies? So, so much of it, you know, they say we have three basic needs when we are emotionally flooded. We have a need to be held, a need to be heard, and a need to be helped. Mm. We, we want one of those three things. Sometimes we may need all three, but typically it's one of the three. And that need to be held is so strong. There's, there's, there's nothing more powerful than when you feel like you're, imploding or collapsing in on yourself or the world is too much to have your your mom or your dad just hold you and not ask anything of you they they can just they're not afraid of your emotions they're not afraid of the circumstances they can just hold you there's nothing more powerful than those moments in your when you're in middle school or high school where your best friend would just sit shoulder to shoulder with you and you two not say anything they, they just felt what you felt and you didn't really have to say it, but it, it was just comforting to have them there with you. And then as we become adults, we get into this mindset, especially in America, you know, where every, everything is independent and I'm an independent woman, I'm a boss chick, uh, you know, men are self-reliant, I'm a lone wolf. Like this type of mentality is the complete opposite of what feeds us in reality right? We need touch. And if you didn't get a lot of touch, going back to family, if you didn't get a lot of touch from your family in your childhood, it becomes challenging for you to recognize when you need to be held as an mm -hmm. adult and right. when somebody in your circle needs to be held from you, right? You're, the nine times out of 10, what you're going to do is respond to that person who needs a hug in a way that you were responded to as a child when you needed a hug, which is like suck it up or they just ignored it 
or what's wrong with you? Like, that's one of those questions that, you know, just go up my spine and make me want to grab coffee uh, mugs. Yeah. Coffee mugs. And, um, so we don't realize how much of that, that programming, um, is in us because we never had it to express it. You can't only give what you've received. And if you haven't received enough hugs or help or assistance or, or if you haven't been heard right. a lot in your childhood, haven't had that space, then it's going to be hard for you to give that to someone else. And then you're just going to be reactive and continue the cycle. And it makes me think of you when you mentioned even just having awareness of what your needs are and what you need from someone and recognizing what it is in the moment that you require in order to function and in order to serve yourself and break away from that people pleasing child. That's the sort of convergence. Is that a word I, that just came out of my mouth? I don't know if that's a, I like that's, it. Let's do it. <laughs> of the childhood and adulthood. <laughs> they'll, let, they'll let us know in the comments for sure. Um, I, 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 now I got to look my Virgo brain. I got to look. Convergence, it feels like it could be a word. It feels like a New York it is, Times it's word. It's definitely a word. Yeah, I like that. Let's, Let's do that. Let's see if I used it correctly. It's Convergence. <laughs> the occurrence of two more things coming together. Boom. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, oh, you know why? You know why that messed with your brain? Why? Because everybody right now is using the word intersectionality and it's driving me Whoa. nuts. If intersectionality hear, you haven't heard that yet is that a new like it's like uh, the new category in lgbtq it's like some um it, it's the it's the word used in all the like woke spheres oh, uh, it's so exhausting intersectionality of ai and humanity no. yeah it's like what's what was wrong with convergence yeah can we just get back <laughs> to convergence <laughs> as you were talking i thought of a question actually i thought of something that was said to me from my therapist, I, uh, um, Breck Costin, who I work with and who has helped me for years, both professionally and personally, when I've talked to him about things that I'm going through, he said something that always resonated with me. He said, just because they're your family doesn't mean they have to be your friend. And I think that's a big lesson for a lot of people when we're talking about the influence of our childhood, creating people pleasers out of us and this sort of place we're at where we're growing out of that into our adulthood to remember moving forward. And that doesn't mean that that is the, that that is what it becomes eternally. It could be just for the moment, you know, and you're, you were talking before about sort of these, the polarities of us going so hard, everything's so great and it's amazing and things are so horrible it's the same thing with treating your family like friends doesn't mean that they don't have to be your friends forever it just means for now and i think if we peel ourselves away from the polarities of our existence and realize being in the middle is okay too there is a real sweet spot you can settle into with your family where hey right now we're, we're not friends right now the relationship isn't working for me and Let's step away from this. Have you ever had that sort of experience with any of your family members where you realize there's some static between us and I can't handle this right now? And and how have you handled that crossroad? Oh, yeah. With my mom, there, there was a, a period where <laughs> I would call my mom or my mom would call me and she would 
start launching into some language that I wasn't okay with. It was not acceptable to Leo Flowers. And I informed her of such, and she continued with such behavior. And so I got to the point where I said, you know, I love you. And I want to talk to you. I want to, I want to hear about what's going on with you and, and I want to share what's going on with myself. Uh, but as soon as you enter into this type of language, I'm going to hang up on you. And so I, I want, I'm letting you know now, like moving forward, that's going to be the response. It took about a year of me literally hanging up on my mom as soon as she, and I, I was very specific about what the expectations were, what she was saying, and uh, and it took about a good year. And then I tell you what, now my mom and I have a thriving relationship. I love talking to my mom, where I used to dread talking to my mom. Mm. And so I, and I, so I would say that to say that the boundaries that we put up don't have to be permanent boundaries, right? We can we can move them around. It, it could be just something that we need up for now. It's kind of like, um, you know, artists, musicians. They have a thing called woodshedding, where they would they would like rent a house in the middle of nowhere for like a month to three months just to work on an album, mm. or just to work on their craft. Right, just to practice, just to fiddle about, and and that that was a boundary for them. Barack Obama, I read Michelle Obama's uh, book Becoming, and she said that Barack missed the book deadline for Dreams of Our fa from My Father, and he and they were asking for for their forty grand back. You know that they had fronted him forty grand to write this book. He missed the deadline. They were like, we need the forty grand, and so Barack, he just got married to Michelle, was like, well, I got to go to Bali for a month and finish this book. You will not be able to call, text, chat, nothing. I gotta go write this book. And he took off for a month and then he came back with the book. So that was a temporary boundary that he knew he had to set to get the work done because there was too much stimulation in, a, in, the, in the environment that he was in to get this work done. And if he didn't set that boundary, this one month apart could have resulted in years of them not never feeling connected because now he's resenting her for not having the space to complete his mission or they dissolve because now he has to pay this 40 grand back and they never make it out of debt and then they get a divorce. You know, like all these catastrophic or the I don't want to say catastrophic, but the collateral damage of not setting boundaries short term. Um, you know, you just can't quantify it. You just set and off it, a thousand epiphanies for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm checking all the places where I need to go away for a month. <laughs> but but and and this is why I love to read biographies, and I and I and I want to be specific here because a lot of times people will read books of that have stories of other people in it, right? So like I could be reading a book on leadership. And they'll have some stories, maybe, or anecdotes about Barack Obama in there. But the challenge, but the problem is, it's not giving you the full 360 of who Barack Obama is. You're getting this tiny snippet that they've selected to highlight an argument that they're making. 
And so this is why I like to read the biographies so that I get a I get the context as to what's driving the behavior instead of the behavior, the outcome itself. Mm. Now, I guess my question for you before we go, it's a loaded question and I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer. Is family everything? Family is a part of it, a part of the things. I think when we make any one thing, everything, um, it can be disastrous. It can it can be it can be destructive, and it can limit your scope of what the possibilities are and what your alternatives are, and what your um, where your growth potential is. And what I mean is. If for me to say that family is everything would be a slap in the face to the orphans out there. It would be a slap in the face to uh, anybody who's uh, been in and out of foster homes, uh, who have lost their entire family by accident, by murder, by uh, disease, by tr like whatever it is. To me, I feel like that would be a slap in the face to anybody who was the last member of their family standing or just does not know how to contact their family and it's it's eating them alive because on the on the other side of that if you can expand your definition of what family is right Genghis Khan one of the things that why people say family is everything because there's that old uh it's not a quote but I forget what they call it not an anecdote but blood is thicker than water Right. That's what everybody latches onto. And I forget what you call that. Um, but people misunderstand that. They don't understand the context of blood is thicker than water. And what that means is that anyone who is willing to sacrifice their life for me, their blood for me, is thicker than the amniotic fluid that me and my siblings share, which is the water. Mm. So that Damn. blood is. We're going back than to the womb. You're going back to the womb. So blood is thicker than water is anyone who I feel like has my back, has my six. That person is more important to me than somebody who I'm just related to. And we came out the same womb together or we had the same uh, bloodline because we all had people in our family who wouldn't sacrifice anything for us. They wouldn't give us a dollar. They wouldn't let us in the house. They wouldn't give us a couch to sleep on. But but my but my brother over here, who um, had, would sacrifice, give me the shirt off his back. And this is this is why a lot of uh, men go back into the military because they feel that they feel that these are men who literally have my back. When push comes to shove, they would shove me out the way and take the bullet and it's hard to find that feeling on civilian land to find that feeling in your family i think that we gave everybody a lot to think about and i think we might have ruined and improved some holidays <laughs> i just you know one of my great goals in life is to change minds and to break hearts and in, in in the sense of breaking them open so 
why don't you tell people where they can listen to you and where they can also thrive with you? Uh, I, I want to respond to that, but also real quickly, I want to say this. Don't please do not listen to this episode and then immediately act on what you've heard. Listen to this episode and then listen to it again. And then talk to it. Talk about it with other people. Take notes on what stood out to you. And then craft a plan about what your step is. A lot of times we read something or we hear a quote or we listen to a podcast and we go, I'm going to go do that. But we're we're caught up in emotion. We're caught up in excitement. Don't let excitement and emotion dictate your next move. Allow this to sit in your bones. Share it with a friend. Share this episode with a friend or two that, and then ask them to connect with you about what they connected with. Have a discussion about this. And then decide how you want to proceed forward. I don't want you to start hanging up on your mom. Or, or breaking up with someone. Or smashing uh, coffee mugs. Smashing coffee mugs. <laughs> uh, slow, all right. So we're getting uh, lost in the convergence of it all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you can check me out. I have a podcast. It's a suicide prevention podcast uh, called Before You Kill Yourself. It's on all the um, major platforms. Before You Kill Yourself, suicide prevention podcast. And then you can also check me out at leoflowers.com, leoflowers.com. I do one-on-one coaching with women who are uh, successful in their business. They're thriving. They've checked all the boxes. They've, they've met all the societal external expectations, but they are suffering and suffocating in their personal life. So go to leoflowers.com to connect with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. That's so beautiful. And work on your daily germs. Absolutely. Journal, exercise, read, meditate, self-talk. Well, this has been a great self-talk for me. I don't know about for you, but it's been wonderful. I love it. I love I love this vibe. This is a this is a whole different vibe. Is it? Yeah, it is. That's good, I think. Uh I mean it's just different. It's not it's not good or bad. It's just different, you know? I like that. I like different. I'm here for different. Yeah. I I see uh, other people um uh, switching up what they're doing and how they're doing it. So it's, it's cool to see you tap into one. I mean, are we stopped recording, right? Are we recording? No, we're, we're still, still going. We're I'm still, still letting going. you go. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, no, but it's just, it's, it's beautiful to see that you, it feels like you've taken the time to ask yourself, what do you want this to be now versus just continuing, you know, with what's been working because it's been working even though you don't feel connected to it that's exactly what i'm doing and i'm glad that's coming through i'm doing what you told me to do leo do you remember what you told me to do sit your ass down <laughs> literally took your advice it took me a few years but i'm sitting down Thank you for this pod. Thank you. I appreciate it. With 
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.